Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Hey, Bobo. What's going on, Cliff? I don't know. I was going to ask you that. You look amazing. Have you been losing more weight? Nope. Holding steady. Really? Did you get a haircut? Nope. Just still cutting it with the home shears. Huh. Okay. Well, then you must have gotten your teeth whitened or something like that. Nope. Well, you're radiant. I mean, you're not pregnant, are you? I used to get accused of that all the time, but no, I'm not. Well, what is it? Why do you look so good? It's my brand new Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo Heather Orange t-shirt that's so radiant. Oh my gosh, you're glowing. You're just illuminating this entire room. Unbelievable that one t-shirt can have such an effect. It's true, Cliff. This radiant glow all comes from wearing this brand new bitchin' t-shirt. Well, my goodness, where can I get one of those? You can go to BigfootBeyondPodcast.com and order there at the top of the page. It says merchandise. That sounds easy. Yeah, you just click on that. It takes you straight to SasquatchPrints.com, which is Brandon Tennant's site. You know him. He's got all kinds of cool squash design t-shirts you've seen at all the conferences. So you go to BigfootAndBeyondPodcast.com and click the merch link. It'll bring you right there. It'll change your life. It has mine already. You look amazing, Bobo. Thank you. If it makes Bobo look good, imagine what it would do for you. Act now to get your very own Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo t-shirt. Domestic shipping is free. For international shipping rates, please email sasquatchprints at iCloud.com. You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond. Featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Hey, Bobes, how you doing today? All right, how's it going, Cliff? It's going all right. It's going all right. Just upstairs at the museum. It's a, a great weekend. I hear people downstairs enjoying themselves in the museum. And I'm up here enjoying a conversation with you and our guests today. I've got a great guest. I think this is going to be a good one. Uh, several years ago, a gentleman reached out to me uh, who is a police officer. He's law enforcement. And he shared with me a couple sightings. And I've, I've stayed in contact with him. I even had coffee with him a couple weeks ago, actually, and a kind of gave me a bunch of other stories that I'd never heard before. And I was thinking, this guy would be an amazing guest for Bigfoot and Beyond. So I invited him on today. And uh, I think you've met him in person before at a gig or two. But, you know, with the thousands of people that we meet, I don't expect you to remember him. But um, so, Bobo, here is our guest today, police officer. We're just going to call him Roger at this moment, okay? So we're not going to put his last name or the location or anything out. We're just going to call him Roger. But uh, I verified this guy. He is a legit cop, and uh, he has a couple great sightings he wants to share with us today. So, Hey, Roger. Hey, Bobo. Hey, Cliff. Thank you for having me here today. 
Well, thank oh, you for thank coming you. on. And of course, just so the audience knows, we aren't, we aren't going to say anybody's last name or locations or anything like that for a couple of reasons. Number one, to protect uh, Roger, you know, because imagine, you know, you, you're in court or something and the lawyer brings up the Bigfoot thing and you happen to be a witness. They're, they're just trying to slash your credibility. Uh, but, you know, lawyers, you know how they are. And then uh, second of all, of course, we're doing it to protect the Sasquatches themselves because uh, not everybody needs to know where the Bigfoots are hanging out. It's kind of like protecting your fishing hole. If you're a, if you're an angler of some sort, you just protect the fish, protect the, the Bigfoot. You, you get what I'm saying anyway. Roger, uh, why don't you start with this? Like, uh, have you always thought that Sasquatches are real animals or was it like, uh, you know, indoctrination by fire sort of thing? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I was, uh, I grew up with a father that's very much a historian and that history is everything from our revolution to the history of, you know, cryptid creatures, UFOs. And so I kind of grew up hearing the campfire stories and we moved around the country a lot. My dad was military, so we had a lot of campfire stories. And so I grew up believing in Bigfoot because I believed uh, my dad would never lie to me. And, uh, you know, today he never has. And so, yeah, I guess you could say I've been a very open-minded, lifelong uh, believer. Glad to see you were raised properly. Thank you. I'm sure my dad would be happy to hear that. <laughs> what kind of stories did your dad share with you? Did he have any firsthand knowledge or things that he picked up? Uh, well, interestingly enough, my dad was in law enforcement in Arizona. And uh, I remember the story that stands out the most that he used to tell us was uh, when he was a cop in Maricopa County. He had heard calls from guys that worked up north about the, the Mogollon monster, the, some kind of Sasquatchy story about the creature that lived up in the Mogollon Rim in Arizona. Yeah, above Grand Canyon. Yes, yes. And a deputy he knew that went out there and had a fairly alarming experience. I guess the guy thought it was kind of BS. Some campers out there had some stuff rifled through in their camp and... Uh, I guess he saw something large moving off in the distance like it was coming towards him, but he heard a lot of howling and, you know, spooky, squatchy type noises. And so I kind of grew up hearing about that. And then, of course, my dad always talked about the Patterson-Gimlin sighting and stuff like that. But the uh, Mogollon monster was uh, the one I grew up hearing about in uh, Arizona. The 70s was a great time to be indoctrinated into this sort of like strange uh, pursuit, I guess, if you want to call it a strange pursuit. I guess the outsiders do, I guess. But when, when you're in the middle of it all, it seems perfectly normal. So you grew up hearing these stories from law enforcement about other law enforcement officers and other sort of sightings in the area and whatnot. Um, and, and then how long passed between then and when you started having any experiences of your own? Oh, geez, years. I'd, I didn't have my first experience till 2013, I believe, yeah, July of 2013. So a lot of years had passed, and I'd moved all over the country, and I'd, you know, lived on, actually moved to Washington when I was uh, in the end of the seventh grade, lived here from seventh grade till about six months after graduating high school, and then moved to Texas. And, you know, always wanted to move back to Washington. And so when I had an opportunity after being law enforcement in the Southwest for a while, um, I, you know, got out of the military, went into law enforcement in the Southwest, uh, Arizona, Nevada area. Then I got an opportunity to come back up here. And when I did in July of 2013 is when I had my first actual experience. So go ahead and tell us uh, what led up to this sighting and then what transpired. 
Sure. So I was working up in the Olympic Peninsula, and uh, I had a, a partner rolling around with me one night, and we got a report of somebody poaching eagles. And so we, we were told where this would be. Uh, it was in an area that was known for being real stinky because of area where people dump fish, and miles past that is where this guy was supposedly poaching eagles. So the first night we go out there and we kind of mess around a little bit with each other, you know, like it's dark and spooky and it was miles. Uh, so where I worked was about uh, 62 miles north of the nearest of the city that I actually lived in. And then the siding was a 17 miles north of that. So we're, you know, almost 80 miles into the Olympic Peninsula, you know, and we're cruising around, we're looking, we don't actually see anything. And so I ended up throwing some rocks in the water to mess with them. Didn't think anything of it. It was definitely spooky. And it was this big wooden bridge across a, you know, a Creek that runs right out into the ocean. And then uh, we don't think anything of it. We don't see anything. The following night, we get the same call again. That guy's back out there poaching eagles. So we go drive out to the same place. And uh, when we went out this time, it was it was uh, kind of a different feeling. You know, it sounds kind of cliche, but it felt like something was in the air. Um, we got out of the car, and I said, Leo, let's check, because sometimes poachers will, you know, they'll kind of pitch all their leavings from what they're doing and, you know, try to hide it. So we're trying to look for it, and we walk across the, this wooden bridge. And uh, while standing there, a ginormous boulder, I don't even want to call it a rock, flew through the air and splashed right next to me. And uh, it was about 8 to 10 feet from the bridge to the water, the surface of the water, and it splashed water up on the bridge. And I thought my partner did it. So I was like, hey, man, that was not cool. Okay, you got me back. And he says, no. That wasn't me. That was not me. And about a second or two later, another one came through the air, and it just happened to pass through the beams of our flashlights, because this is about 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, by the way. Crystal clear night. So this next rock passes right through the beams of our flashlights and uh, hits the water, and you can actually hear it clack to the bottom of the creek. And I remember watching the water splash away, and I could actually see where it hit. And then the silt and stuff splashed up on the bridge. And then we got a pretty deep guttural kind of roar. And he wanted to leave. And I wanted to hang out. And it got a little more loud, a little more uh, almost like aggressive sounding. And so I said, okay, maybe we should go. So we left. And we continued to come out every night for about um, a week. And we would kind of do the same pattern, you know, do the same thing over and over again. We would stop a mile or two from the bridge and do. We had uh, some of the uh, Sierra recordings on my phone, and I'd play those cast like sound casts over the loudspeaker. You know, we just kind of hit the bridge, walk to the middle of the bridge, wait a minute, walk to the end of the bridge, kind of get a pattern down. And we'd always hear stuff. And then uh, about a week goes by, and one of my other partners said she wanted to, to go. And so my partner said, hey, yeah, why don't you take her with you? Because she, she didn't believe in it. She thought we were making it up. So I said, all right, let's go. And on the way there, we're talking about a, a boyfriend issue she was having, on and off again boyfriend. I was messing with her. You know, oh, you're going to get back together. You always do. And so we park at the wood bridge, and it takes us about 20, 
minutes or so to get out there. You can't drive very fast, so about probably more like 25 minutes, and it's right around 11 p.m., and we get out there and park the car. We leave all the lights on so you can light the area up. You can hear the ocean because we're not too far from the uh, the coast. It actually comes out to a river mouth, this creek. And I noticed right away, all of a sudden, there was like no sounds. There was no sounds of the forest. You always hear. It was like somebody flipped a switch. And uh, it got real quiet. And we walked to the front of the car. And I looked and I hear for a brief second, I heard like a rustling. And then something just stood up out of this, uh, the bushes at the end of the bridge, and, which would have been the northwest corner of that bridge. And uh, when it stood up, it, it almost looked like it was spring-loaded. Like, it was such force. And it, I kind of froze, and uh, she screamed and backed up and fell over. When she screamed, I think it kind of startled it, and I'm looking at a eight-foot or so tall Sasquatch. Uh, you know, actually, I know it was it was it was really really tall because I could I could see it crystal clear, and I could see the branches hanging down and touching its head the, from this, these trees on at the edge of the bridge, and it kind of paused for maybe a second, looked at me, took about a step and a half to cross the the bridge the the roadway, and as it crossed the road, it kind of looked at me again, and I saw a little bit of like reflective, almost like eye shine. Uh, more like an not red, but like an orangey, ambery color, and then it hit the the, the the wood line. But what got me was when it looked at me, it didn't it didn't look human, but it didn't look like an ape. It had like a facial expression that actually felt like it gave me the look of death. Like it it looked at me like you better stay where you're at and don't come any closer. And it had like almost like dead looking fur hanging off of its arms, like a like it was like when I go to the zoo and I'd see a yak or something and the like the dead loss, the fur coming off of it. It was large. I mean, you know, you hear people say they're big until you see it. And it was big. I mean it was very like the shoulders on it are huge, shoulder caps are ginormous. And you know, I'm about six one and and this thing dwarfed me. And it, and it hit the tree line, and it just started walking in through the trees like we would walk through tall grass, and it was kind of grunting, you know. And um, she screams again, and she had this banshee scream with the shattered glass practically. She turns around and runs into the car door. She's open it and falls down, starts screaming at me to get her out of there. I always slung a rifle because of just bears and stuff out there to be safe and uh so i'm standing there and and probably not the smartest day of my life i ran towards it and i i hit the used the light on my rifle and i lit up the area it was at and i could see a path where it was walking uh through these this tree line and uh i could hear it grunting and i when my light hit its back it actually had like wiry silvery gray fur across the back of its shoulders like a like a silverback gorilla and uh, and it was i could see muscle movement and it was grabbing these alder trees and bending them out of its way like again like we would push tall reeds of grass out of our way and i remember looking through my my scope on my rifle for a second and um seeing uh, i could see really close the the, the, the hair 
and uh, I, I was scared. I, I, I didn't want to shoot it, but I remember thinking, like, if, if this thing turns around and runs at me and I shoot it, what if there's another one around? And, uh, and it wasn't like looking at an animal. It was something that could have a facial expression when it looked at me. Uh, and so I kind of looked around. Uh, I watched it walk another maybe 20 yards into the trees, and then it kind of drops, the train drops down, and it was out of view. And so I had to, I remember running back to my car and I had to be careful because this wood bridge had like big gaps in it. So if you don't watch yourself, you'll, you could drop through it and, uh, into the river, if not break your neck on the way down. And as I'm trying to run towards the car, I'm stopping and looking and I can still tell where it's at because I can see the trees switching back and forth and, uh, and I could hear it howling. Uh, and not a howl, more just, again, like a loud, almost like a whoopy, grunty noise. And so I got in the car, I just threw my rifle in the back seat, and she's actually crying and screaming at me, get me out of here, get me out of here. And so we leave, uh, we're driving down the road, I get a mile down the road, and my heart's pounding like crazy, because it, it was, I couldn't believe it happened. So we park... Uh, and, and I asked her, I was like, I, I, I got to ask you, what did you see? Because I don't want to feel like I'm crazy. And she said, I'm not going to answer. I am not. I can't answer you. I can't say something like that. And I said, just tell me. And she said, whatever it is, it's not supposed to exist. And it's walking on two legs. And I said, okay. And we drove back. I, I dropped her off at the, the station and, I ended up. I went in later to check on her, and she was pretty shook up, and she was trying to keep herself pretty composed. You know, I went home and, and told my wife about it, and she could tell I was I seen something. I told her the same thing. I'm like, I, I can't believe I just saw that, and as spooky as that was, I don't know if I really want to see that again. And uh, the next day, I said, you know what? I'm gonna. I got to bite the bullet, and it was about five twenty in the evening. I actually went into work a little early. Because I just wanted to kind of like, you know, get back on the horse, as Dr. Phil says in every episode. And so I uh, drove back out there to that location. There were tree, there was a branch, actually, a pretty large branch off of the first tree you hit when you kind of drop down into where this bridge is. Looked like it was twisted off, like somebody, like you would twist a, a, a straw. And there were pieces of uh, shrubbery kind of ripped out of the ground and some stuff bent over. And I had taken pictures of this and, and written a report. And uh, that is report was uh, mysteriously deleted uh, after I had written it. And uh, it was a pretty spooky event. Uh, we continued to go out there till about the 17th of July or the 20th. I think it was the 21st of July is when we stop going out there because it just it was odd it was like all of a sudden we'd go out there we'd still hear stuff we never really i never saw anything like that again but we would still hear sounds and vocalizations and then the last night we went out there it was like walking into an empty house it was all of a sudden there was just uh it was like we never heard anything else again like they just moved on uh, and a couple times we would hear several vocalizations like one uh, one point was sounded like it was coming from the west where the river mouth would be and then one or two more uh, northeast at the on the uh, opposite end and across from the bridge 
So it was, it was kind of weird, but after the 21st, we never heard anything out there again. And I went several times later on and it was, it was we never heard another thing out of that. So that was my first big experience. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso, and Satellites and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. I know you told me about this before, but I, just hearing it again with all the details and uh, the emotion that was involved with the woman crying and everything, it's just a fantastic story. Um, uh, a couple details I'd like to get out of this. How far away were you from the creature when it stood up initially, when you first laid eyes on it and got a good view of it? Probably about 30 feet, maybe 35 at the most. 30 or 35 feet. You were right on top of it. Yeah, um, so it would have been where it was sitting, I think was down at the northwest corner of the bridge, almost like in a like it was bedded down. And when I walked up to it, we were later talking about it, I think I startled it. And if because I was doing the same thing every day, I think they were watching us, and it had to have known that I'm going to end up walking right up on it. So I think when I got within that with its safety zone, it then it just decided I'm out, and it popped up. And I mean, it popped up with force. Yeah, so it was it was a little spooky. When when you went back the next day, did you look around for footprints or anything? Or I did, and the odd thing was we found a like a really, really light impression. And I'd taken it. I wish I had kept the pictures myself. I have a couple from there that are really hard to see, but the good ones I were, I uploaded and they're with the, wherever that report disappeared to, but we found one wide, almost looks like a pad print, but the ground is super hard there. And I, I actually jumped up and down on the, the soil and I couldn't even make a dent with my boots, and I weighed 265 pounds, and and I was I wasn't able to make a dent in the uh, the soil there at the end of the bridge, and um, there was no I could see like that path where it walked, but I couldn't find any discernible tracks, but just you could see the path through the trees where it kind of barreled. I don't even want to say barreled through because it glided through like like deer go through bushes. It looked like it was just an effortless you know, walking through there. And, um, so that was it, but no, I couldn't find any really good discernible tracks. I did find the area was bedded down though. And I, I didn't think about it at the time. I wish I would have looked for fur or something, but I was trying to make, be brave and go back out there. And I saw the area where it was all squished down, like a ginormous animal was laying there, which was it. And, um, after about 10 minutes, I thought, okay, brave enough. I'm, I'm getting back out of here because I'm by myself. Now, since, since you are law enforcement and you're a trained observer in various ways, I'm just curious, could you guesstimate um, the speed with which it walked away? Jeez, that would be a hard one. If I had to compare it, it walked away like it, like a, it looks like it's taking a, a stride. Like it looks like it's at walking pace, but it would, I would have to be in a pretty hefty jog to keep up with it. 
Oh, oh, that that's actually really solid because even if you said like seven miles an hour, that's meaningless in a way. But if you had to jog to keep up with this casual walk out of the area, that, that that's something I can wrap my head around. Yeah, I would have to be at a pretty good jog. I mean, if I sprinted, I could catch it, but I would. But um, I mean, I'm sure it could, if if I did that, it'd just disappear. But I would have to be at a pretty good jog to maintain the same speed as it was walking. Well, people might be surprised about this, but I was really close to going into the academy to become a sheriff deputy up here. I, well, I always thought you to be a night patrol deputy sheriff in a rural county, you're getting paid to be a squatcher with decent equipment. You got spotlights, you can get thermal. Like I always thought, like man, this this is a real squatcher's job. Oh yeah, and uh, we actually I forgot to add that we had um, old school thermal cameras. I had one. And I had taken it, and there was one night I got, and I couldn't, you know, it's hard to tell uh, size sometimes with the old black and white, black hot, white hot thermals. And there was one time, um, the guy that was with me, my partner, we got something on the thermal, and it looked like somebody standing at the end of the river wearing like a, uh, I don't know, like the Bobo vest, like what you wear, Bobo, that, you know, like like a puffy jacket type of thing. Like I seen you on the show, like somebody wearing like a big puffy jacket, but you couldn't really see details. And I thought, oh, it's just a guy down there fishing. And so we actually went to try to go down there and find the that spot the next day. And then we got an idea for the scale, and uh, it wouldn't have been a guy fishing. It would have been like, he would have had to have been, I don't know, eight, seven and a half, eight feet tall. I mean, it was like, oh, this is a lot farther away than it looks, and. We never went back out there because that was that was a lot of work. That was uh, I was sweating to the oldies trying to get out to that spot and and to get back. But uh, and it was you're right. I mean we had some pretty cool equipment. Um, but at the same time nowadays everybody has a cell phone and the last thing you do is think to turn it on when you see something. And you know we were uh, when the incident actually happened. Uh, I am embarrassed to say it, but I had my own little in car camera. And I was, I never turned it on. If I had turned it on, I'd have had the whole thing caught on video. And I just, I never thought to turn it on, you know, and I turned it on every other time and I didn't turn it on this time. Well, it probably would have disappeared anyway, just like the police report did. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a pretty amazing experience. And um, one thing that I always remember is the facial expression. Like I've, I've been to the zoo. I've seen all kinds of different animals and primates. But this had like body language and like an actual facial expression, like a person. Like it did not look like it was happy with me or it wanted to have me over for you know tea and crumpets. This thing looked at me like, if you come any closer, I will smash your face up. It was very different. Well, that kind of reminds me of uh, what Roger said about the, the about Patty, the Patterson Gimlin film subject when um, when he saw it. I mean, I'm sure Bubble will correct me with exactly what she said, but it's something to the effect of uh, when when he looked at her and she looked back, he said that like her facial expression was that of an umpire who kind of gives you the heads up like one more, you know, don't mess with me anymore or you're going to be out of the game next time you say something. And uh, that kind of reminds me of the same sort of thing. Yeah, I would say that's pretty close. It was definitely almost like a grimace, like a, like it grimaced at me, you know, like, a, yeah, don't mess with me. And I wasn't about to, although I did run after it, but that probably wasn't my smartest moment. But uh, added, added to uh, my experience. <laughs> 
eventually you left this job and moved and then you had another visual encounter with one of these things, right? Yes, I did. Uh, we moved into, uh, the area, Southwest Washington area. We moved into a, a cabin that was pretty nice. Uh, I didn't realize it was going to have a, I, I did learn that living in a log cabin means that the, you're never going to keep nature out. That if there's rodents outside the cabin, they will quickly find their way inside of it. And uh, you got to have everything in plastic containers and have door sweeps and all that because they will find your food. But other than that, it was beautiful, like 85 acres. We were lucky enough to rent it from a friend of ours for a year. Other than there was only one family that had lived up there for a very, very brief time. But pretty much this house was the top of a mountain and had been abandoned for, I don't know, seven, eight years. Nobody had lived in there, maybe a decade even. I mean, they kept the property up and the house was very nice. But uh, so we moved in there. And I was uh, working in a law enforcement in that area, too. So it was kind of like a dream house, you know. It was beautiful. And there was like a um, uh, just this be- a beautiful deck on this house. And then a, it had a, a, an orchard that had apples and blueberries and like a bunch of different fruit that was had, had a sprinkler system. You know, um, it was a really amazing piece of land. And then if you walked north from the, let me see if I'm would have been actually sorry not north if you would have walked southwest from the cabin or at the top of this little mountain area you would actually get to a, a beautiful viewpoint where there's kind of a little gorge and a, a little creek that runs through that it was a very very beautiful spot to to live and uh, we had several experiences there so what were some of the earlier experiences you had at this new property uh, that maybe maybe you didn't know Sasquatches were associated yet, but um, you knew something weird was going on? Uh, the first thing we had was we'd lived there for about a week. And um, another thing I learned about living in a log cabin is you can hear everything on the outside of it. And our the master bedroom was downstairs and my kids' rooms were upstairs and my wife and I were laying in bed one night and I had you know we were just talking and I was she was reading I was reading and we were just kind of talking and we started hearing a almost I don't even know how to describe it like a, a almost like a rubbing noise like a vibrating rubbing type of noise and she said hey what is what is that and I had to kind of listen for it and then I listened and I'm like yeah I kind of hear like a weird buzzing kind of vibrating noise and then I then we heard something big brush up against the side of the cabin, like some like a like I thought it was a bear. I thought, you know what, this is there's fruit out here. I bet you this is a bear. And then you could hear like breathing, like a like a real heavy um, dry breathing. And I said, that's got to be a bear. And uh, where I was laying would have been probably the fourth log up and there so you know probably where I could hear it would have been around my chest height uh, against the wall when I stood up and I'm listening and I could hear something sliding across the the, uh, the logs and I said well I'm going to go check it out and uh, when I went outside as soon as I hit the door and I grabbed a rifle and uh, I heard something take off into the, into the trees And the tree line on that side of the house was within three feet of the house. 
Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. We would wake up and hear loud howling. And then the, the scariest thing that happened there was I woke up and my, my, wife, my wife woke me up. She says, I think I hear something outside. And I had a security camera on the deck looking out the front of the house over the orchard. And um, it didn't record, but it just was like on. It was like a glorified baby monitor. And on that camera, she said she'd swear she heard something. And, uh, and I said, she goes, I think somebody's walking around outside. And I sit up and I look out the camera and I saw a deer, deer taken off toward the west of the front of the house. And, and this really high pitched roar that had a squeal at the end. I don't know how to explain it. And I did it three times and it was so loud. I could hear it across the camera and we could hear it in the house. So I went out on the deck and, um, I took my, one of my ARs with me and I looked out, I thought, well, man, whatever this thing is, it's getting closer and closer to the house. And I sat out there for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. And this experience, this is now we're getting into September, you know, beginning of September in, on top of the mountain here. And I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear a word. I didn't hear I me. Mean, I didn't hear a sound. I didn't hear noises. I could hear, off in the distance. I could hear people on the, the state route. That's my, several miles from the house. And I thought, oh, well, whatever it is, it's gone. And I right, right as I was getting ready to stand up, and I had I'd opened the deck. When I went out on the deck, I had purposely backed up into a corner and had turned the deck lights off. Front lights of the house were on, but I was in a fairly dark spot. And I'd kind of leaned into this little crook of the, the deck. And so I was just getting ready to stand up and go back in. And then I heard stomping, like somebody stomping uh, two feet, like two feet. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And so I kind of peek out, uh, I lean forward, and I hear something walking out of the orchard. And then I hear the gate from the orchard swing shut. And, and then I heard like, like a, hmm, hmm, hmm. And I'm looking, and as I look, there's a trail that I, so there's the, the, the path for humans to walk down. There's steps, you know, manicured little steps and handrails go down to the orchard. But there's actually like a deer path that comes out on the west end of the orchard and comes up right by the house. And I could, the sound that I was hearing, I couldn't see it anything, but I could follow the sound coming up the path to the orchard, from the orchard towards the front of the house. And as I looked over the front of the deck, I could see a dark silhouette and I could see air, like uh, the steam from somebody's breath, but a lot of it breathing. And I could see that rising from that spot. And, uh, and then I could hear every now and then I, I would, it would, I could hear like the, like just something sucking in a lot of air like lungs working, not like it was trying to growl, like it was the physical function of whatever that thing is breathing. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, whatever it is, it's looking right at me. And then it kept getting closer and I could see the silhouette and I got scared. And so I did what I did before and I shot around away from it into uh, this, uh, 
not too far from where the stump is. And it took off down this path like a, like a linebacker. And that was the last real big experience we had. We kept hearing sounds around the house. We'd hear whoops and howls. It wasn't a welcoming feeling. My wife's like, I want out of here. And then about three months later, we moved out of that house and into the city. That's kind of it for up there. I know my wife does not have any interest of driving around up there. I've said, hey, let's go drive up there because nobody's living up there right now. And, uh, and she's like, nope, we're good. We've seen enough. Now, uh, did you ever speak to any of your neighbors while you lived there or even the people that moved in after you moved out to see if they have also had strange experiences? I spoke to the neighbors once and they were also like truck driving folks and they were only home for like a month to two months out of the year. And their house was a quarter mile or so east of ours. And they said that they were hardly ever there to hear anything. You know, they did say that they had heard from other people that there was, there was stuff seen and heard. And they told me, you know, I don't remember exactly what it was. I just know people said that they've heard stuff up here. Yeah. You've had some intense encounters. And I'm not looking for another one. I mean, I can, now I kind of am, but kind of like, it's kind of like shark diving, you know, like I want to get some, I go, hey, maybe I, I wouldn't mind going, I would love to go out and look again, but then it's like, okay, I want to see as long something. As you're in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it was, I never felt like a warm and fuzzy feeling every time I've seen something. And I don't think they're bad or evil. I don't think they're, ghosts or anything i think that they're an undocumented primate type creature that's very powerful that is very smart i don't think there's a lot of them and i think with us you know we were the only people that actually lived up there and we're a noisy family and i think it was curious like whoa who's up in my who's in my backyard because you know we're the we're the outsiders and and it's an apple orchard, which I imagine is great for them. And the deer are around there. Roger, thank you so much for being willing to come on Bigfoot and Beyond with us. Because uh, I've known you for a couple of years. I mean, not real well or anything. We've crossed paths a few times. But I, I've, your stories have always resonated with me. Because not only are you law enforcement and therefore a good, qualified, trained observer, but the, the experiences you've had are just fantastic. And they were close range. Um, and there are areas that I've been to and want to hear more about. So thank you so much for coming on. I knew Bobo would get a kick out of this, too. Yeah, like everyone else, I love hearing the law enforcement officers' stories, you know, because we get so many of them, but so few are willing to get recorded, you know, to talk about it for obvious reasons. Yeah, so thanks so much, Roger, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for being brave. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and I had a great time, and I hope to talk to you guys again sometime soon. Yeah, we want to hear your next setting. Give us a call. Yeah, take it easy, Roger. Thank you, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. So what'd you think, Bobes? Dude, he was great. I mean, law enforcement usually make good witnesses, but he was also could tell a story really well. He like paint a picture for you. So that was, he was an excellent witness. Yeah, he's so articulate and so smart. His, his observations were at close range. I mean, he's had 30 to 35 feet for that big one out on the peninsula. That's insane. He lit it up with a spotlight or a flashlight, at least. And at that range, holy smokes, he got to see the facial expressions. And then, of course, he lived among them for a little while on this property, too. Like he got to know more of their strange behaviors instead of just like a, 
you know, a, uh, a road crossing or the thing at the end of the bridge or this one like glimpse into their world, he got to live there as well and kind of get to know some of their other behaviors. And hearing their sounds, even though you don't know what they're saying, it definitely gives you a lot more insight, a lot more to think about when you hear them. Like even it's just mumbling or gurgling or whatever, whatever they're doing. It's just, it, it just adds such another dimension to it. But yeah, good job, Cliff. That's a great witness and guest. Uh, well, thank you very much. It's not, don't get, but then again, you know, don't have to thank me. All the thanks goes to Roger, his, uh, um, braveness coming out and willing to share it. And yeah, and just kind of, uh, being aware that these things are out there. Cause I mean, a lot of cops or a lot of people in general don't realize they're there. They just write the whole thing off. So when they do encounter one, they don't know because they haven't been versed in it. Well, we'll see who we can get for next time. But I mean, again, I say this a lot. I, I think Roger will be a hard one to top as far as guests go. That's as good as it gets right there. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up then. Bob, do you want to take us out? Okay. Word on Cliff. That was a good one. And everyone out there, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Hit like, hit share, tell your friends, neighbors, friends, family all about us. And uh, until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 